Let's read God's word together. Um, if you have a Bible, let's turn to 2 Samuel 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to read the whole thing, the whole chapter. It's not that long, so don't worry. 2 Samuel 9. Some really big words here. And I thought someone was going to read this for me tonight, but obviously the, wor- the words were too big. Um, and I'm going to have to try to read these myself. So 2 Samuel 9. All the way to the end. So David... And Mephibosheth, this is stunning, this moment in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 9. David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. And Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table." Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us and for us this evening. Lord God, we pray that by your spirit you would take your word and make your word come alive in all of our hearts tonight. Father, as we prepare to sit around your table, as our hearts are warmed by the love of the King of Kings, we pray that you would communicate what you want to say to each of us tonight as we work through your word, that you would give to each of us a beautiful picture of your grace, of your love, your kindness towards us. God, we're so humbled to be here in your presence. Holy Spirit, be our teacher now, we ask, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to keep your Bible open, I want to just think through 2 Samuel 9 and um, just this beautiful moment that we've just read together. 
There's an American author and pastor. I don't really know him. I haven't really read much of his work, Chuck Swindle. And he writes this about this moment. Um, He says, the Bible is a photo album filled with pictures of God's grace. But one striking image, he says, is found in the pages of 2 Samuel. The setting is the palace of King David. Gold and bronze fixtures gleam from the walls. Lofty wooden ceilings crown each spacious uh, spacious room. And in the banquet room, David and his children gather for an evening meal. Absalom, tanned and handsome, is there as is David's beautiful daughter, Tamar. The call to dinner is given, and the king scans the room to see if everyone is present. One figure, though, is absent. Clump, scrape, clump, scrape, clump, scrape. Comes the sound, coming down the hall. It echoes into the king's chamber. Clump, scrape, clump, scrape. Finally, the person appears at the door, and he slowly shuffles to his seat. It's the lame Mephibosheth, seated in grace at David's table. And the tablecloth covers his feet. Now the feast can begin. You know, this moment is is in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And and Mephibosheth, who is lame in both feet, he, he struggles to walk. He's the one that King David waits for in this moment. And why out of all the the passages in the Bible are we thinking about this tonight on Communion Sunday? Why don't we just go straight to one of the New Testament um, passages that speak about the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ? Why this moment? Well, I, I believe that this moment in 2 Kings 9 with Mephibosheth sitting at the king's table, it is a beautiful picture of the amazing grace of our God Because of God's amazing grace, you and I are able to sit at the table of the king. And this this moment vividly reminds all of us of why we're here tonight, why we're in this space, why we're worshiping God, why um, we have this beautiful privilege of sitting around the table, sharing in communion together. And my, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would communicate through this moment the beauty of God's grace to each of us in a fresh way, that we would be be drawn to the Father again, that our hearts would be drawn towards the King of Kings who invites us to come, that we would be drawn to King Jesus. I don't know what your week has been like. I don't know where you've been or what you've been up to or what work has been like or, or where you've been dragged to this week. But tonight we come. We come into the presence of the King of Kings. We come to the king's table. We're welcomed by Jesus. He invites us to come and he reaches out and extends to each of us his loving kindness, his mercy, and his wonderful grace. You know, it's good to be reminded, isn't it? And I think we often need reminded that the grace of God is quite simply God's unmerited favor towards people like us who can't earn it. We can do nothing to earn the grace and the favor of God. We don't deserve it. There's nothing that we can do to repay God for his grace to us or his kindness towards any of us. And we're all in the same boat when it comes to the grace of God. We're all undeserving, and yet God pours it out upon us. And so from this passage and before we come to the table, I want to think about two big thoughts from this moment in 2 Samuel 9. And the first is this. I think what we see here is grace that sought us, that the grace of God sought us out from the place that we were in. 
God sought us, the grace of God came after us. You see, Mephibosheth was a son of Jonathan. If you're unaware of, of um, the background of this, the backdrop to this moment, Jonathan was David's like best friend, um, his closest companion, and Jonathan is now dead. And Mephibosheth was therefore a grandson of the previous king who was Saul. Um, Saul, who had come after David, wasn't the friendliest towards David, but he, uh, Mephibosheth was a grandson of Saul. Uh, and Mephibosheth, we, we read earlier, had been dropped by his nurse as she hurried to leave when news of Saul and, and Jonathan's death had come to her ears. And she drops Mephibosheth, the baby. Um, don't be dropping the baby there as you go out. <laughs> Just perfect theatrical timing there. Thank you. Thank you for that, you guys, the lusties. Just need to watch there. You don't fall or drop. Yep. So Mephibosheth was dropped. Um, he had an awful accident, and he was left without power in his legs. He was, he was lame in both feet. And here we have David in this moment, in this beautiful moment. David in power, the most powerful man in the world at this time, and he's on the throne. Um, it's a time of relative peace in the land, and, and one of the very first things and I think we need to notice this. One of the very first things that David does is to ask about Mephibosheth. Well, he asks about Saul's descendants. It's one of the first things he wants to do in power. Are there anyone, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show descendants of the previous monarch? Is there anyone left? Is there anyone I can go after? You see, David had promised back in 1 Samuel 24 that he wouldn't kill off Saul's descendants. And that apparently was the, the usual practice for ancient kings. When they came to power, they would have wiped out all the descendants of the previous king just so that there was no threat, you know, no, one, um, no, no uprising uh, possibility that no one could come after them and try to dethrone them and bring the throne back to their family or their uh, generations. That was the usual practice. But that is not what David is going to do. He doesn't want to hunt down and kill off Saul's family. And so his inquiry gets this answer from Ziba. We read this in verse 3. He says, there's still a son of Jonathan, and he's lame in both feet. Does that put David off? Does David think, well, I'll just leave him. I'll just leave him where he is. There's no point in going after a, a, a son of David. Who, who can't walk, a member of Saul's household, who, who can't do anything for me, I'll just leave him where he is. But David doesn't do that. He's not remotely concerned about what Mephibosheth might be like. He's not concerned about what Mephibosheth can bring to him or not bring to him. And David asks about Mephibosheth's whereabouts, and the answer comes back. He's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in a place called Lodabar. Now, we need to take a mental note of that because that is important. You see, the name Lodabar means barren place. Barren place. And so what we see here, get this in your mind, we see a king, the most powerful man in the world at the time, the king seeking out a lame son from the previous monarchy who's living in a place called barren in a place that nobody would go to. And what does David do? Mephibosheth. David goes after him. He goes after Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is contributing absolutely nothing here. But David is showing mercy and grace. It's beautiful, isn't it? Grace isn't picky. It's not looking for someone and 
in good physical condition, someone who can give something to him. Grace isn't looking for someone who's done something for the king, someone who can, who can bring something to the royal palace. He's not looking for someone who can pay him back, who can give him riches or something else of great worth. It's the, it's the opposite. It's the absolute opposite. See, Mephibosheth should have had a death warrant on his life. He should have had a, a death warrant on his head. He should have been chased after and sought down and wiped out. But instead, we see the strong and mighty king reach out to lowly Mephibosheth in a place called Baran. And David brings him home. David brings Mephibosheth from the barren place into the courts of the king. We know that Mephibosheth must have been afraid. Perhaps he was physically trembling or maybe there was a look on his face that, that just gave away the fear that was in his heart because David, David says to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Isn't that what God says to us? Like, don't be afraid, my son, my daughter. When God reaches out to us, don't be afraid. Come to me. Come to me. Mephibosheth is on the edge of this moment. This encounter with the king, and the king says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Come to me. Let your heart be still. Why, why would he have been afraid? Well, well, he did think, I'm sure, that the practice of ancient kings, I'm sure he thought that the king is going to come for me and kill me and, and wipe out any chance of any of my family ever being part of his family ever into the future. I'm sure that's what Mephibosheth thought. I'm sure he thought his life was finally over. But David puts his heart at ease and he alleviates fear and he tells Mephibosheth in just a wonderful moment of loving kindness that he would show to Mephibosheth this, this steadfast love to him, this love of God. It's stunning. It's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment. How would David show loving kindness to Mephibosheth? Well, first of all, he says he's going to restore all the land. All Saul's land to Mephibosheth. He's going to give him the land that was lost. He was going to give it all back to him, imagine. Mephibosheth has been living in a, in a barren place with nothing, nothing. Probably in a, a dark corner of a room in, in a dingy backwater. And the king says, I'm going to give you all the land back again. You're going to get it all back. All the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul is going to be yours. And then secondly, he says this. Mephibosheth will always eat at my table. He will always eat at my table, the table of the king. See, Mephibosheth would always eat at the king's table. I'm sure he couldn't believe what he was hearing. I'm sure he couldn't, couldn't believe his ears. Could this be for real? Instead of hearing the sound, you know, of a, the blade of a sword leaving its sheath, you know, and uh, a sword ready to, to, to wipe his life out, he hears these words of amazing grace. You're going to get all the land back. You're going to sit at my table all the days of your life. It's grace, isn't it? It's grace. The grace of the king sought out and brought this, this lame young man hiding in a place called barren with no hope and little prospect of any kind of future into the presence and into the loving kindness of the king. What a picture. Does that do your heart good tonight? What a picture. What a picture. What a picture of grace. You know, central family tonight, let's never forget that the grace 
of our King has sought us out. The grace of God has reached for us. The King has reached for us in our barren place, in your barren place. He reached for you. He came to you in your barren place. He reached for you. Lame as you might feel, he reached for you. In loving kindness and in steadfast love, he has reached for you. He has extended his arm of love to you and to me. He has come for you. He has sought you out tonight. He's reaching us. He's reaching out to us. I hope you can sense that. It's a beautiful day. The loving kindness of the King of Kings is reaching out to us tonight as we worship him. As he receives our adoration, he's reaching out in love. He wants us to know how much he loves us, how much he loves you, how much you're on his heart. His steadfast love, his grace is reaching out to you and to me. Grace sought us. The second thing I think we, we see here is the transforming power of God's grace. It's not just grace that, that sought us, it's grace that has transformed us. Mephibosheth standing or, or perhaps sitting um, on, on his legs in the presence of the king. Can you picture that in your mind's eye? Can you picture this moment? He's in the presence of the king, hardly able to comprehend what's happening. And Mephibosheth bows down before the king. He, he's a broken man, and these broken words come tumbling out of his mouth. And here's what he says to the king. He says, what is your servant that you should notice? A dead dog like me. A dead dog like me. A dead dog. Is that how he views his life? Nothing more than, than, a, than a dead dog lying at the side of a road. You know, in our, our Western culture, the phrase, it's a dog's life. I think that kind of means, you know, a life devoid of any trouble, um, a life of ease and, and relative, uh, you know, a relative lack of stress. But in ancient biblical times and in this context, it couldn't be any more different. To refer to someone as like a dead dog, the, the author is intending to shock us, by the way, in this moment. The, the author wants us to be like, you know, to sit up and take, dead dog? What, what's that all about? What is this about? It's, the author wants us to know that there's a, an awful bottom of the ladder kind of poverty that Mephibosheth feels in his life. He feels the squalor and the shame of the life that he's been living and he, he knows that he's right at the bottom of the social ladder. And he feels that and he feels he's like a dead dog, like there's nothing to my life. David, do you know who I am? Do you really know how far I am from the courts of the king? I'm a hundred million miles away from you. Nothing more than, than a dead dog. I don't, I don't deserve to be here. One commentator says about this, that dogs are repeatedly depicted in terms of their disgusting and inadequate diet in ancient biblical times. To identify oneself as a dog, therefore, was to draw attention to someone's miserable condition as an inconsequential creature. Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart that Mephibosheth would consider his life as nothing more than an inconsequential creature. I actually find that really sad. I find that really, really sad. You know, as I thought about coming here tonight, I don't know who you are or where you're coming from. I don't know how you view your life. But if there's anyone in here tonight, 
and in any way you feel like your life is worth nothing or that your life isn't worth living, I want you to know that the king loves you. The king loves you. I want you to know that he sees you right now. He sees you. He loves you. And he wants you to know that your life is so precious. So precious in his hands. You know the devil wants to steal our self-esteem. He wants to rob you of your self-worth. Don't listen to him. Do not listen to that voice. That's not the voice of your, your heavenly father. That's not the voice of the king who loves you. If that's you tonight, take great heart. Mephibosheth sees himself as nothing more than a dead dog. But David calls Ziba in again, Saul's servant, and tells him that he has given to Mephibosheth all that belonged to Saul and his family. And what's more, he says uh, to Ziba that his 15 sons and 20 servants are going to look after the land for Mephibosheth. I'm sure Ziba was delighted about that. You know, all this extra work he was going to have to do um, all for Mephibosheth, like this guy who's come from nowhere. And David says, they're all going to work for you, Mephibosheth. You're not even going to have to work the land. You're not going to have to do the work. They're going to do it for you. They're going to tend to the land. They're going to look after you. They're going to farm it. They're going to bring in the crops for you. They're going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for you, Mephibosheth. You don't have to worry about a thing. What is this? It's the abundant, over-the-top provision, isn't it, of the king? It's the abundant, over-the-top provision of the king. Unmerited favor being extended to one who could never pay back such goodness. Again, what a picture for us tonight of God's abundant, transforming grace, over-the-top goodness towards people like us. Ziba agrees. I don't know whether he was reluctant or not, but he agrees to whatever the king commands. And we read that Mephibosheth sat at David's table like one of the king's sons. He sat at the king's table like one of the king's sons. He lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. We're actually told four times in these last few verses that Mephibosheth, who was lame in both feet, would always eat at the king's table. He 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 would always sit with the king. He would always eat with King David. He was part of the king's family. You know, as we prepare our hearts to share around the table together this evening, I want us to take a moment to see ourselves in this. Can we do that? To be reminded that we come to Jesus. And in so many ways, we come spiritually lame, unable spiritually unable to contribute anything to this. We've nothing to bring. We can't earn his goodness or his favor. We come to him. We come in faith. We come according to his mercy and his grace. We come to the king. We come to his loving kindness. And God has taken us from the barren place. Can you remember where you've come from? 
Just think about it. Where has God taken you from? My goodness, if I think back, if I think back to the kind of 18-year-old me, oh my goodness, that I would be standing somewhere like this speaking about this stuff. No way. A spiritual wilderness, some barren place, living for my own little kingdom and my own little desires. Here we are. Where have you come from? What has Jesus done in your life? Where has he brought you from? As you come to the table tonight, where have you come from? Where has he brought you from? And as he invites you to come to the table, is there a a sense of thankfulness in your heart? Again, tonight we come and he gives us a place at the table of the king. An abundance of riches are ours. God provides for our deepest needs. He adopts us into his family. We eat at his table and we become sons and daughters of the king of kings. Sons and daughters of the king of kings. And as Chuck Swindle says, in love, he allows his tablecloth of grace to cover our sin. It's covered. As we sit at the table tonight, as we sit at the table, the king's tablecloth covers us. We're covered. Covered by the blood of the lamb. Completely covered. He has paid it all. He has paid it all. He covers our sin. We are made new in Christ. And so this communion Sunday, because of the grace of God, we can come, we can sit at the table, remembering with deep thankfulness all that the King of Kings has done for us. So I would say, sons and daughters of King Jesus, come to the King's table. Hear the invitation to come.